Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Joel. I get to be the pastor here. Welcome to Three Creeks. If you're new, checking it out for the first time, a special welcome to you. If you're part of the family, what's up? Welcome back. Missed you. Good to be back together. Kings. Kings and kingdoms. Brand new series that we're starting today. Uh, When I say the word king, who comes to mind? Is it the king of pop? Michael Jackson. Or the king of rock and roll. Anybody know who it is? Elvis Presley. The king of the blues. B.B. King, of course. How about this one? Who's the king of golf? It is Arnold Palmer. Not just a special drink. Who's the king of the NBA? From the great state of Ohio, LeBron James. Who comes to mind when I say the word king? King Arthur, King Tut, King George, the one from Hamilton, Martin Luther King Jr., King Triton from The Little Mermaid, or King Kong, or King Friday from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, or perhaps my favorite, Simba, the king. There's a lot of... uh, kings that probably come to mind. I could keep going. I could list more that you would be familiar with. A king is a monarch of a major territorial unit, a paramount chief, one that holds preeminent position, the second best card in a game of poker, an important piece in chess, the most important piece in a game of chess, and the largest species of salmon. And right, tucked in the middle of your Bible are two books that bear the name king or kings. They were originally one book. It was uh, split at some point in time, but it was one author, one book called Kings, but we've split it up into first and second kings. Have you ever heard a message or a message series on the books of first and second kings? I haven't. I've had friends that have done it and I've seen it done, but I have never sat underneath someone teach through the book of First or Second Kings. And so that's what we're going to do here for the next couple months here at Three Creeks. Some have speculated that the author of these books was the prophet Jeremiah. He has another book or two in the Old Testament. They say that it's him. Some people say that it was just a group of prophets. Some people say that it was a group of wise men that lived in Jerusalem but no one can be sure who wrote First and Second Kings. At first glance, if you read these books, 45 chapters between the two of them, if you read them, you'll think, oh, this kind of feels a little bit like a, a historical book, nonfiction, an account. There's details about people's lives and how long they were the king and, and things like that. But, but as you dig a little deeper and you will find through the series that this was written with a very theological lens, and I will try my best to explain what that means as we go through the series. It's, just, it's not just a history book. It's not just a history book. One of the reasons why I'm excited about doing First and Second Kings now about leadership over a country is, I don't know about you, but 2024 is finally here. And I, 
I just can't wait. I've been so excited to together go through the next presidential election season. Isn't it exciting? So many quality candidates, the unity that we will feel together over the next nine or ten months as we rally around one leader. That probably isn't going to be our experience. A perfect time to go through first and second kings. You will find out why it's so perfect as we go through it. A couple just real pointed questions. Are you concerned at all about the direction our country is heading? About the leaders in our country? How about the direction and the leaders of our schools? How about the direction and the leaders of some of our churches? Does that cause you any concern? Let me make it more personal. Are you concerned at all about your heart and the direction that it has been heading recently? Be honest. Think about the last six to nine, 12 months. Are you concerned about yourself? Has your heart grown cold towards God or people or church? If any of those things concern you, First and Second Kings is going to help you navigate those concerns. In these books, listen to this. We are going to read about political assassinations, civil wars, miracles and murder and revenge, detailed and breathtaking architecture, religious reform, making bets with really bad odds, prayer and prophecy, battles and heroes, and a grandmother who tries to kill all of her grandchildren. If this was a Netflix show, you would watch it. You would, it'd be the one that you didn't tell people you watched, but you would watch it. It is going to cause you to scratch your head. It is going to get under your skin. It is going to make you feel uncomfortable. It is going to make you say, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. And at some point in this series, everybody is going to have this question in their heart. Will there ever be a good king? Will there, will there ever be a humble king? One that I actually want to follow. And the answer to that, of course, is yes, there is a good king. And these books are going to make you long for him to reign more than ever. I thought it might be helpful to give you an overview of where we're going for the next little bit. Uh, I, if I said, hey, let's go on a trip together and you got into my car and you had no idea where we were going, you had no idea how long it was going to take, you didn't know if we were going to stop for food on the way, then I would presume that it would be hard for you to settle in. It would be hard for you to enjoy the ride. You would be wondering, should I take my coat off? Should I take the music control? I don't have personally great taste in music, so you might be inclined to do that. It would be an unsettling thing. You wouldn't enjoy the ride because you don't even know how long it's going to be. You don't know if we're going to Indianapolis or if we're going to Easton, and that's an unsettling feeling when you don't know where you're going or how long it's going to take. But on the other hand, if I told you where we were going, if you got in the car and were able to see up on the dash my phone with an estimated time of arrival where we were heading, and I told you, of course, we're stopping for Chipotle on the way, then you would be able to settle in. You would be able to enjoy the ride, whether it's three minutes or three hours. It's a whole different experience when you know where you're going. So I thought today, before we jump into the series, 
we're going to jump in a little bit, but before we jump all the way into the series, I would zoom out and say, hey, this is where we're going, and it's going to take 12 weeks. January, February, March, we're going to be here in First and Second Kings, and I have my man Jason here with a whiteboard, because sometimes I like to pretend like I'm an artist. Jason, guys, give it up for Jason, running lights and the stagehand today. All right, so this is, uh, this is an overview of where we're going. I, 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 I say this, I hope a lot, that a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. In other words, you can take a lot of passages out of the Bible, and if you don't know why it was written or who it was written to, you can make it mean a lot of things. And so what I want to do is give you a context of both of these books so that you understand where we're going to be in the history, in the timeline of the Bible when we go through these two books, all right? So here's a timeline for you. This is uh, 970 B.C., 970 years before Jesus Christ came onto the earth, and this is going to be 586 B.C. So we've got about a 400-year span that these books were written over. First and Second Kings is basically like this. Like I said, Kings was just really one book to begin with, but First and Second Kings is just divided right down the middle. So First Kings is the first 200 years over here. Second Kings is the next 200 years over here. This is what the kingdom of Israel was like at the time. Over here, I'm going to change colors because that's kind of fun. And over here, we've got the United Kingdom, not Great Britain, but the United Kingdom of ancient Israel over here. Okay, this lasts about 50 years. And somebody that you might be familiar with his name, his name is Solomon. He is the king during this United Kingdom time for the first 11 chapters of First Kings, we're going to read all about Solomon. Then there is a civil war right here. Civil war. And the, the nation of Israel, the kingdom splits. And so you've got up here, you've got a northern kingdom. And down here, you've got a southern kingdom. Okay, the northern kingdom, this is important if you're going to read these books on your own, and I really hope that you do, this is important that you get at least familiar with some of these terms. The northern kingdom, they take on the name Israel. And the southern kingdom takes on the name Judah. And this period of time is, if you can do the math yourself, this is a period of time of about 350 years right here. Okay? So what happens though, this is, this, is a, this is a great last little point here on my chart. Over this period of time right here in Israel, in the northern kingdom, there are 20 kings. 20 of them. How many of them are good? How many of them follow God? You guessed it. Zero. O for 20. And what happens to Israel is that in 722 B.C., they are taken over by the Assyrians. The nation of Assyria comes in and just wipes them out. The southern kingdom, over the same period of time, they too, well, actually a little bit longer period of time, they have 20 kings as well. And it's not zero. There are actually eight of them that the Bible says they loved God the most. 
They were godly in their character. They tried to steer the nation of Israel back to God and away from idols. But the sin that accumulates over the other 12 is there's consequences for it. And so in 586 BC, they're taken, whoops, sorry, went the wrong way. They're taken into captivity in Babylon. This is the era of the Bible that's going to be known as the 70 years of Babylonian captivity of the nation of Israel. That was my first time drawing that. I hope that makes sense. Makes sense in my head. 50 years here, 350 years here. But as you can see, if you look at this thing, this is a timeline of glory to ruin. It is a, is a tragic account of a disaster. It is down and to the right for 400 years. Because what, what's going on here at this time is that Solomon is leading the biggest kingdom, the biggest the kingdom has ever been. Solomon is leading it. He builds a brand new beautiful temple. People coming from all over the world to see it. And things are going great for the nation of Israel here. But Solomon, Solomon's heart is divided. And one of the things that we're going to look at in this series is that God doesn't, he's not willing to share the throne of our hearts Solomon is 50-50. Half the time you're like, man, this guy seems to love God. And the other half the time you're like, he doesn't love God at all. And the consequences of this is that it just goes down and to the right. This is a, it's a story of a demise of a great nation. First and second Kings is a divinely inspired picture of what happens when we reject God. It's 45 chapters of a divinely inspired picture of what happens when we reject God. These books are a warning. A great nation falls to ruin. Israel finds themselves over here captives in another nation, in another land. They are on top of the world. And now they're all over in Babylon, captive. And they've got to be asking themselves questions like, wait a minute. I thought for sure God was for me. I thought he cared about me. How did we end up here? Where's God in all of this? Where's God in all of this? And First and Second Kings, it seems as though it was written to help these people come to terms with why they are where they are. It's an explanation of how they got there. And then on a personal level, on a personal level, let me just ask you, have you ever had those questions. Where is God in all of this? I thought he was good. I thought he cared about me. How did I end up here? If that's something that you're going through right now or have gone through or have somebody that you love that is there right now, where's God in this? I thought he was good. I thought that he loved me. First and second Kings is going to help you navigate maybe why you are or why they are or why you were where you were. If, uh, if you look over here to, to this side, I left a little space because I wanted you to know that Solomon, he wasn't the first king of Israel. They've had two other kings before him. If you read the books of First and Second Samuel, which come right before First and Second Kings in your Bible, you can read all about it. The first king of Israel was Saul. 
And the second king of Israel, he's the one who actually united the kingdom, all 12 tribes, was King David. And Solomon is the third king of Israel. And you might be asking yourself, well, then how did Saul become the first king of Israel? It's a great question. And the answer to that question is the reason why the slide begins. The answer to that question is, is why it keeps going down to the right for the next four or five hundred years. You see, Saul, uh, you know, before this period of time, before this year, before the era right before 970 B.C., the, the, the nation of Israel exists. You might recognize names like Abraham or Moses or Joshua. They were leaders for the nation of Israel, but they were never the king. They, they, that's not how they positioned themselves. It wasn't the title that they were given. They weren't the king. They were a leader. There might have been some different prophets over the course of time that led Israel, but they weren't a, they weren't a kingdom. They were a theocracy. God was their king. God spoke through people. God was the one that directed them. God gave the commands. This was how the nation of Israel operated. They were the only theocracy. Everybody else had a king. The Assyrians had a king. The Philistines had a king. Everybody else has a king. So right before Saul, there's a guy who's a leader, not a king. He's a prophet. His name's Samuel. And Samuel speaks for God. God speaks through Samuel to lead his people. And Samuel has two sons. Typically, the sons would take over if they're ready for it or if they're up to it. But unfortunately, Samuel's two sons, neither of them have the character that are worthy of Samuel passing the reins off to them. And so all the elders of Israel begin to get together and they go, well, then who's going to be the next one? Who's going to be the next voice for God to us? And rather than looking for one of Samuel's sons to take over, this is what they do. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says this. It says, finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him. You are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. So the elders say to Samuel, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations around us. We want a king. Give us a king. We're done with the theocracy. We want a kingdom because that's what everybody else has. And you see, it wasn't, it wasn't that they wanted a king that was the problem. In fact, earlier in the Bible, God gives them instructions on how to appoint a king at the right time. The, the, the problem is not that they wanted a king, but the problem was their motivation for wanting a king. Look what it says. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like the nations around them. Everybody else has a king. We want a king too. Look, everybody else is doing it. We want to be like everybody else. My daughter Cooper, she is uh, in first grade, and she's already navigating this exact very thing. She's coming home from school talking about things that her fellow classmates get to watch or get to do, and she's saying, well, how come I don't? One of the things is she's interested in watching all the movies and the shows of My Little Pony, and this is not, uh, I'm not on a high horse about that. That was kind of a funny joke, actually. <laughs> I should have thought about that, but anyways... Uh, <laughs> this is not about My Little Pony because she comes home and says, hey, everybody else in my class gets to watch that whenever they want. How come I don't get to do that? And I says, Coops, you're a trainer. Trainers 
You're in the trainer family. And, and the trainers are different. And the trainers don't do things just because everybody else does them. And this truly has very little, maybe nothing to do with my little pony. And it has everything to do with me as a dad wanting to instill in her that doing something just because everybody else is doing it is a terrible filter through which to make decisions. And what's very convicting about that as I, as I walk Cooper through that is that I realize, oh, I'm still there too. I'm still in the same spot. It's not about my little pony. The topics have changed. But I too want to be like everybody else. I want to do what the world says is fun. And I'm tempted at times to twist or interpret the Bible in a way that, that just helps me be less different. I'm tempted to be that way. But as somebody who follows Jesus, we are not motivated to be like everybody else. I felt like God, as I was preparing to, to, to share this with you, whispered to me, hey, Joel, you're a Christian. You're in the Christian family. The Christians are different. We don't do things just because everybody else is doing them. The, the Bible is so clear that, that my aim as a Christian is not to be like everybody else. In fact, a lot of times if I see everybody else doing something, that's exactly what I'm not supposed to do. God, it, it, the moment that I begin to follow Jesus, there's this new call on my life to be set apart, to be holy, to be different. So there's this call on my life to be, to be set apart in the way that we spend money in the way that we choose shows, movies to watch, and the people that we choose to date, in the ways that we spend Friday nights, in the ways that we spend Sunday mornings, different, set apart, in the ways that we budget, in what we believe about sexuality or gender, in where we live before we're married, and how we plan or attend bachelor or bachelorette parties, set apart, different, unique, different. So different that at some point people have to go, that is different. That is noticeably unique. This person does not fit in with the cultural norm. And I know that's, that's challenging to wrestle with because there's a lot that goes into that, but it's true. You see, Samuel tried to tell him. He tried to tell him, guys, no, 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 listen, trust me. You don't want a king. Let God be your king. Stay the course. You guys are different. And do we think that they heeded his warning? Verse 19 says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, Samuel. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Man, they were warned. But they really wanted to be like everybody else. And this is where it leads. This philosophy that the best way to live your life on who you want to be is just kind of look around and try to be like everybody else. This is where it leads. Because this is what's true for them and it's true for us. You've probably said this to someone and I'm, I'm the, the, the kind friend, pastor that's making sure that you know it too. In this life, we are free to make choices. We are not free to choose the consequences. We are free to make choices. We're not free to choose the consequences of those choices. What we do with all of the things that I listed, man, we're free 
to make choices, right or left. We're free to make choices. We're not free to choose where that leads us, the consequences of those decisions. God looks at the nation of Israel and says, you want to be like everybody else? You want to fit in like with the nations around you? Okay, fine, here you go. Here's your king. Here's number one. Here's number two. Here's number three. Here's the next 40. Look how it's going to go. You're free to make choices. You're not free to choose the consequences. And this is a, First and Second Kings is a 47 chapter, 1,535 verse warning to us as individual people that we are free to make choices. We're not free to choose the consequences. I should tell you now, First and Second Kings does not have a warm and happy ending. It doesn't make you feel good at the end. But I praise God that on a personal level, personally, I praise God that First and Second Kings is not the end of the Bible, but that it's right in the middle and that there's a lot more that's written after it. And I'm going to spoil it for you. I'm going to spoil it for you. Second Kings ends not so great. They're, they're in... Babylon, they're captives, and they're all wondering if they will ever be a people with their land again. But I'm going to spoil it for you. God comes back and gets them again because they repent and they turn back to God and they ask for help and they ask for forgiveness and they say, will you help us? And God, all through the Bible, he never turns his back on a heart that repents. And so he goes and he gets them and raises up Nehemiah and Ezra and some of these other people that lead them back. And, and it, it gets better. It gets better because they repent and they turn to God. And, and I, I guess I just want to ask you, whether this is your first time in church in a long time or this is a really familiar thing where you've been a Christian or walk with Jesus for a while, has life felt like it's going down to the right? Maybe, maybe you're just feeling like you're in a spot where, man, it's not trending up. Like your relationship with God feels like you're struggling and you've made some mistakes and you're kind of sitting there going, man, I don't know if, if, if God wants me the message of the rest of the Bible and the message to you is that God comes back and gets them when we repent and when we ask for forgiveness and when we ask for help. He never turns his back on someone who repents. This is, uh, there's more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. That's always true. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. And to be reminded of that is something that even the most seasoned Christian can get a little off track from time to time and needs to be reminded that there's more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. And so as we finish today's service, here's what I'd, I'd love to give you the opportunity to do. I'm going to give you about two or three minutes just to pray. You can do it on your own. You can do it with somebody who's on the prayer team in the back. But just two or three minutes. The music will play here in a second. And just, I guess I'm asking, have you ever done that? Have you ever repented 
Have you ever turned to God and asked for help? And if you have, the follow-up question would be, have you done that recently? Have you turned to God and said, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm not giving up because I know that you don't give up on me. Have you turned to him recently and said, hey, I need your help? Even the most seasoned Christian in the room needs to do that. And so I want to give you the chance to do that for two or three minutes. Just pray. Ask God for help. And ask him to prepare your heart for the rest of this series. And then we'll sing, All Hail King Jesus, the chorus of the bridge, again as we close our service. So take two or three minutes and pray, and then we'll sing together. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.